15 in verse 1. 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1, Paul writes, Boasting is necessary. It's not profitable, but I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. He's referring to himself. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a human being is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except of my weakness. For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool, because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you, so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me, or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Now I'll pause there and say, Paul had some kind of experience... He doesn't know whether it was in the body or out of the body. Only God knows. But whatever he saw could lead to a great amount of pride. But he won't boast in that. Instead, see what God does to keep him from boasting. He says, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this text, I pray that you would plant your word down deep in our hearts. That we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive the good truth of your word. Help us identify the thorns of our flesh. Help us see the areas we are weak in. And let us not despair or become downcast, but Lord, help us see how sufficient you are. Help us see the glory of your strength. Help us know that when we are weak, you still use us, and you glorify your name through using weak and lowly men and women. So Lord, help us to see your sufficient grace. Amen. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Charles Spurgeon, But Spurgeon was one of the most famous preachers to ever live. He was Baptist. He might be the most famous preacher. But he was one of the most famous preachers to ever live. And honestly, if you read a biography about him, you almost think it's a fairy tale. The amount of things that he did, the amount of sermons he preached in a week, the amount of books he wrote, the amount of people that were converted under his preaching. I mean, from 15 years old, Spurgeon started preaching. And it wasn't long after that that he took a church. And then he became well-known in London. And before long, he was filling everywhere he went to preach. So much so that lines would form out the doors. In fact, one time, he went to the, the largest auditorium, not even a church, the largest auditorium in London, and filled it out the door. It was so, he, he was so popular that the members of his church struggled 
to even come hear their own pastor preach. There were people literally climbing in the doors to hear Charles Spurgeon preach. You want to talk about a gifted man? That was a gifted man. That was a preacher. When even the lost want to hear him preach. That's special. And Spurgeon, being who he was, very gifted, very talented. I mean, it, it's just it's insane, really, to think of all the things he did. And you would imagine someone like Spurgeon would be pretty arrogant, pretty puffed up, pretty full of himself. Well, uh, one time, a man was talking to him, and he said, Spurgeon, you are arrogant. And Spurgeon just laughed, and he said, Yes, but it's a wonder I'm not more arrogant. (laughs) How can a man who's so gifted remain humble? You want to know how successful Spurgeon was? One time, he went to a new church, and he was just testing out the acoustics. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And there was a janitor there who heard Spurgeon proclaim this, thought it was the voice of God, and repented and received Jesus. Spurgeon saved people on accident. He wasn't even preaching and men were being converted under his teaching. That's amazing. But you know how Spurgeon remained humble? Did you know that throughout his whole life, he suffered with depression? A man who walked so closely with God, who experienced a a wonderful marriage, had children, successful preaching, teaching, raised up pastors, wrote books. His whole life, he battled depression. He also was not physically well, so his mental health was in shambles, but physically he wasn't well either. There were days where he would be so consumed with pain that he could do nothing but lay on one side in the bed all day long. But Spurgeon would say, the moment that relief came, I knew to trust the Lord. You see, in his weaknesses, he learned to trust in the Lord. Though he was vastly gifted and well-talented, he still learned to trust the Lord because he was not invincible. He wasn't perfect. And I think for us, as we examine ourselves and we think about the things we we struggle with, we deal with, we may look at them the wrong way. As you can see, I've titled this sermon Infirmities, Insecurities, and the Feeling of Inadequacy. We'll look at this thorn that Paul suffered with. But I hope to help you identify your thorns in the flesh, the things that that cause you to ask God to change it, whether they're trials or circumstances or, or physical ailments, whatever they are. These are things that that drag you down, that burden your minds, that cause you to fall before God and say, God, why me? Can't someone else bear this load? I hope to bring to you a sufficient grace. So first, we'll look at the humbling thorn. Second, we'll look at the sufficient grace. And last, we'll look at the boasting of the weak. So Paul, being called up into heaven sees these miraculous signs and wonders. We don't know what he saw. Don't know if it was in the body or out of the body. doesn't matter. He saw something that should have made him prideful. But then it says in verse 7, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. 
Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. Now, Paul says, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself. You see, the Lord gave him this thorn. I I don't know what it is. If you read commentaries and you talk to different pastors, they all have their theories. Some of them think he had a physical problem. Some people think he was depressed. Some people, it it doesn't matter. Paul doesn't tell us. But he does tell us what it did. It humbled him. And it was something that Satan used to torment him. It was a a messenger of Satan. Something that that tormented him. And it was a, a thorn in the flesh that caused him to come to the Lord and plead with the Lord repeatedly, take this away. And so as you look in your own life, I'm sure you can think of infirmities, insecurities. Maybe you're lonely. And you feel as if no one remembers you. Perhaps there is some kind of sin in your life that you still feel guilt about. Perhaps you do have a physical weakness. These thorns in the flesh are weaknesses that cause humility. They are are there to humble us. I want you to notice that it says it was given to him. It was given to him by God. Remember when I read Romans 8? And I I said what Calvin said, God has ordained these things. So, when you look at your own weaknesses, your own insecurities, your own areas that you are are weak in and inadequate in, realize God may have given those to you. Not to cause you to despair and to give up and to lose hope, but to humble you. To drive you to the Lord. It's to humble you. And it's something that Satan uses to torment you. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is in your life that you could call a thorn. But whatever it is, Satan will tempt you to despair. And he will drive you to give up. But you see, our temptation when we're faced with our own weaknesses is to do exactly that. It's to give up. You know, like, men are tough until they get sick. And then they're the biggest babies. And don't tell me you're not, because I'm that way. And I'll ask all your wives, they'll probably tell me the same thing. When a man gets sick, he goes from being Superman to weak as I'll get out. I mean, just... And we milk it. We might just cough and we think we're on our deathbed or something. I mean, it's just... But really, the, the sickness will pass. It's just momentary. And so I think when we're confronted with these temptations, these insecurities, these weaknesses, trials, whatever they are, our temptation will be to, to curl up in a ball and be filled with self-loathing and self-pity. And we allow whatever these struggles are to paralyze us, to prevent us from being obedient to God. When they should be humbling us and driving us to the Lord, sometimes we look at them and we say, God's being mean to me. Sometimes we say, I've prayed that the Lord would take this away and He doesn't answer my prayer. He doesn't remove it. Therefore, God must be angry and disapproved. No. Let it humble you. Let it drive you to the Lord. Let your weaknesses be strengths in the Lord. And I'll talk about that in a moment with the sufficient grace. But don't let your infirmities paralyze you and cripple you. Because there is hope. There's hope. 
It's not all over. It's not the end of the world. I remember when I first started preaching, my mentor told me a story. And I have no idea if it, if it was real or not, but it stuck with me. And he said, once upon a time, there was this Presbyterian minister. And he had just graduated from seminary. Got all his fancy book learning. But he'd never preached a sermon. And so the, the Sunday arrived. He was about to preach his first sermon. And he had spent weeks working on it. He had this long manuscript. Everything was ready. It was the perfect sermon. The culmination of all his learning. And he, on his way up to preach, you know, the, the last hymn is sung and he comes up to preach. In those days, especially in Presbyterian churches, the pulpit wasn't just a couple of stairs. It like wound up to a, a much taller place. And on his way up, he trips and he spills his manuscript. It goes everywhere. So he goes and he, he picks up all the pages and he tries to put them back in order the best he can. Well, by the time he gets to the pulpit, he's all disheveled. He is just distraught. Man, I thought this was going to be the best thing in the world. And so he, he, he walks through his sermon. He does a poor job. Just His notes are out of order. His mind's distracted. He's embarrassed. He's humiliated. He preaches all this stuff. And when he comes down from the pulpit, his head is hung low. His arms and shoulders slunk. He just sits down on the front pew. After the service, an old woman in the church comes up to him, grabs him by the arm and says, Son, if you had went up there the way you came down, you would have come down the way you went up there. Now, for this Presbyterian minister, I just have to imagine that he never walked into the pulpit arrogantly again. And that story has always stuck with me. Because it's through experiences like that. Yeah, I'm sure he was ashamed. I'm sure he was humiliated. He was humbled. He was brought low. And he realized his own weaknesses. And so I hope that throughout whatever you're dealing with, and all these different things that the Lord is doing with you, you learn to be humble through it all. In verse 8 it says that he, he pleaded with the Lord three times. So notice that he does ask for the Lord to remove it. But the Lord doesn't. Instead, he says something else. He says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Now, I just talked about the humbling thorn. Brings you low. Makes you plead to God. Satan torments you. Now we're going to look at the sufficient grace. So God answers Paul's prayer. Paul pleads with him three times. Take this away. But God doesn't say, yes, sir, I'll do it right now. No, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And, you know, that kind of that feels like a cop-out answer, does it not? So often when I hear people preach and give, like, grief counseling, they really offer me the duct tape to all my problems. So growing up in the South, we always said, if you want food to taste better, you throw some butter in, or you fry it, or you add a little salt. Right? I mean, that's, that makes everything better, right? If it's supposed to move and it don't, WD-40. If it's moving and it ain't supposed to, duct tape. That's how it works. That's what you do. But in reality, duct tape doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't repair your fender that's barely hanging on. No. It just, it's a temporary fix to your problem. 
And so I, my fear is that for some people, when they, they go through trials and hardships, Christians are quick to say, well, it's just in God's providence. It's just, you know, it, oh, he's, he's gracious, he's good, don't worry about your problems. And they, they give you the duct tape theology, really. And they never go into details about how God really is sufficient for all your problems. How is it that when we grieve, we don't grieve as the world does, but we grieve as people with hope? How is it when we're faced with our sin? Oh, God's good. Don't worry about your sin. That's, that's fine, but that doesn't help me out all the way. Give me the gospel. Give me truth. So how is God's grace sufficient for us? Well, I hope you know he, he's not the duct tape to all your problems. He is the cure. And his grace is sufficient for all your needs. Are you lonely? God's grace is sufficient for you. Can you go to the heights of heaven and God not be there? Can you descend down into Sheol and God not be there? Can you go to the mountaintops or the valleys and God not be there? No. Wherever you are, God is with you. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Does not the psalmist write, who is man that you are mindful of him? Is it not true that the eye of God looks upon mortal men? That he cares? That he knows? Is he not called the good shepherd who is near to the brokenhearted? Do we not have numerous scriptures that say God has not forgotten us? That neither heights nor depths nor anything else can separate us from the love of God? I say God's grace is sufficient for you. Perhaps you have a a physical illness that causes you to despair. And you say, I wish I wasn't born with this malformity, this this." Disease, whatever it is. I say to you, Psalm 139, God made you. He fear, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't be tempted to think, because I have this illness, I can't serve God. His grace is sufficient for you. He made you exactly the way He intended to. And He loves you in spite of your weaknesses. Maybe you struggle with... Actually, before I, before I go on... I wanted to say that when it comes to physical sickness, realize that God used Moses, who had a stutter. But he didn't take Moses' stutter away. He gave him Aaron. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you, Moses. I have a professor on campus named Dr. Bill Cook. He's the pastor of Ninth and O Baptist Church. And Dr. Cook is almost blind. He's not been this way his whole life, but his, his eyesight has been deteriorating rapidly. And if he were preaching right here, he wouldn't be able to see Jim Bob here on the front row or Scott. He can't see. And so every time he preaches on Sunday, he preaches to a blind audience. You know, that's probably got to be hard to live your whole life being able to see and then get towards the end of your life. Somebody has to lead him around campus. He can't drive anymore. When he reads, he brings a mag- he has glasses on for one thing, and he brings a big old magnifying glass up to read his scripture and his notes. It's got to be frustrating. If you talk to Dr. Cook, he just exudes the love of God and humility. I mean, that man is humble. And so you can allow these insufficiencies, these inadequacies, these weaknesses to make you humble. Perhaps you deal with the death of a loved one. Is God's grace not sufficient for you? Do you doubt his goodness because your loved one died and you prayed for the healing, but they weren't healed? I say to you, God's grace is sufficient for you. Weeping may endure the night, but joy will come at dawn. 
God's grace is sufficient for you. We do not grieve as those who have no hope, but we grieve as people with hope. And what does the rest of that verse say in in 2 Corinthians? It says that in our weakness, Christ's power resides in us. Is it not His power that we see when a loved one dies and we don't weep saying they don't exist anymore? We weep, but we say they are only asleep. Do we not see the grace of God there and His power? In that moment, in that feeling of sadness and sorrow, do we not say, one day they will rise again to God be the glory? His grace is sufficient for us. Do not grieve as those who don't have hope. Maybe you deal with sin and the shame that's caused by it. Perhaps you had a a failed marriage. Perhaps you committed some kind of sin when you were younger. Maybe even now you are struggling with something. And Satan will use that to torment you and tell you you can't serve in God's kingdom. But I say to you, God's grace is sufficient. Is it not God's grace that scatters our sin as far as the east is from the west? Is it not the grace of God that when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness? Is it not His glory and His power that is shown when though we fail and though we struggle... That forgiveness can actually be achieved? Is it not the glory of God? Is it not His strength? Romans 8.1, I won't flip there, but it says, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I say to you, Christian, you who are struggling with your sin and your shame, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and be cleansed. His grace is sufficient to cover all sin. Every single one. 1 John 1.7 says that whoever has fellowship with God... The blood of Jesus covers all their sin. All of it. Maybe your infirmity or your insecurity is that you aren't gifted in a certain way. Perhaps you wish you had the giftings of a preacher or of a teacher or of a servant. Maybe you wish you had more finances. I say to you, the grace of God is sufficient for you. Is everyone a hand or everyone a foot or everyone a mouth? No. Each one of us has been gifted in a different way. And when someone else is gifted differently, we praise God that they are gifted that way and we serve how He has designed us to serve. There is no shame in not having the same giftings in another. There is glory that you do what God has given you to do and you let them do what He's given to them. Don't become insecure and think, I can't serve God because I can't do this one particular ministry. You serve God with how He's gifted you to serve. Maybe you're going through a trial and your trial tempts you to despair. But is God's grace not sufficient for you? Psalm 22 says that God does not despise the affliction of the afflicted, but He hears when they call to Him and they will eat and be satisfied. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. I hear your prayers and I answer them and you will eat and you will be satisfied. Maybe you doubt your salvation. But I say to you, God's grace is sufficient for you. Was it you or His grace when you lied dead in your trespasses and sins that Christ died? Was it not His grace when your soul was content and its sin and its death that the Holy Spirit came to you and said, Come to Jesus? I say it was His grace. Are we not saved by grace through faith? Therefore, 
Trust in Jesus. If you doubt your salvation, let it humble you, but let it drive you to the feet of Jesus and say, I can't save myself, but you can save me. Trust in the Lord and His grace. There are numerous other things I could go into, and I could spend all day talking about whatever your insecurity might be. But I hope when you look at your life and you examine the things that cause you sorrow and grief and tempt you to despair, you will say, I might be weak, but God is strong and He is sufficient. Now it says sufficient. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get everything you want the way you want it. Like the psalmist said in, in Psalm 22, you will eat and be satisfied. Like Deuteronomy 2.7, the Lord will be with you and you will lack nothing. Doesn't mean you'll have everything that you want. You'll lack nothing. So bring your insecurities and let the sufficient grace of God comfort you and be near to you. And last, we'll look at the boasting of the weak. So, we have these thorns. They humble us. They tempt us to despair. But God's grace is sufficient, so we shouldn't despair. Now, let's see what it looks like to boast. To boast in our weakness. The rest of verse 9, Paul says, Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. You see, a lot of us are tempted to hide our weaknesses. We're tempted to pretend like we are Superman and we don't have needs. But I, I'm sure Carol can attest to this, that even Dr. Oreck has weaknesses. That even Dr. Oreck has insecurities, infirmities. And I know all of you do too. But the way to bring glory to God is not by hiding that. The way to, to move forward and process and deal with these things is not to pretend like you're strong. It's to say, okay, I'm weak. I need to lean on the Lord more. I need to, to ask brothers and sisters for help. And by showing people that you are weak, you bring glory to God. Because, man, you're telling me that, wow, they struggle with that. You know, I, I bet Paul dealt with guilt. He murdered Christians. I bet he felt that. I know he dealt with the repercussions. People didn't trust him sometimes. Make those weaknesses known. And boast in the grace that God gives you to get through it. Boast in that. In verse 10 it says, So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, when I was studying for this, I encountered, in verse 10, him saying that I take pleasure. And I originally read it in the King James, and it says take pleasure. And then when I sat down to write my sermon, I was using an ESV. And if you have an ESV, you'll notice that it says, I am content. I'm reading from the CSB. It says take pleasure. Well, I don't know about you, but there's a big difference between being, being content with something and taking pleasure in something, especially when we're talking about difficulties. And so I, I did what a good seminary student does. I looked at the Greek and uh, begrudgingly admitted that it was helpful. And I think it's more accurate to say that we take pleasure. 
That word that's used means to think well of something, to, to be pleased with it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this verse, I about swallowed my tongue. I mean, I, I was like, really? You mean in all of my insecurities and my infirmities and all these things that I wish the Lord would take away, I'm supposed to take pleasure in it? I'm supposed to be happy about it? Paul says, yes. He says, yes. Why? Because when he is weak, then he is strong. You see, you're going to wish that that person didn't die. You're going to wish that God gave you different battles. You're going to wish that you struggled with different temptations. You're going to wish you'd never committed those sins, and on and on it goes. And you might ask for God to take it away. But His grace is sufficient. And in light of that, in knowing that when we are weak, God is made more and He will sustain us, you boast in that. And you take the hardships as they come. You say, let come what may, I will rest in Christ. Charles Spurgeon once said, I have learned to kiss the wave that dashes me against the rock of ages. Because when hardships come, when trials come, when things bring us low, when they humble us, there is no one else to turn to except God alone. And when we think about these trials, I think it's, it's helpful to think with this illustration. You know how if you're, if you're a parent, there are times when you're asked to do things for your kid that you don't necessarily want to do. You don't want to get up at 5 in the morning to take them to cross-country practice. You don't want to take them and sit in the doctor's office for hours on end. You don't want to have to help them with their homework when you're tired after work. But you do all of those things because you love your children. And so you, you don't necessarily hate those things. You just don't really, you wish you didn't have to do it. But you do it because you love your child. Well, much in the same way, I don't think you have to be overly zealous like, hey, look at all my weaknesses. I'm like the worst person in the world. I don't think you have to be that way. But I think when you see those trials come and you have those temptations and you have those weaknesses, those feelings of regret, whatever they are, you say, I know I'm weak, but God uses weak men for His glory. I know I'm not strong, but with Christ, no temptation has overcome me that His grace will not get me out of. So you look, you look at them and you say, no, these temptations aren't fun. I wish I had this other thing. I wish it was a different way. But I know that they are working together for my good and for God's glory. Now, I hope, in in conclusion, I, I hope that if you're a Christian, you've been encouraged and that you will learn to, to think well of your, your circumstances, your problems. But I have a word of caution to those of you who don't know Jesus You cannot say God's grace is sufficient for you. All you have from God is His wrath. Unless you receive Jesus, none of these promises, none of these comforts are true. And you know what? One thing is true. In your weakness, God's power is shown, but it's His wrath. It's His powerful wrath that is shown against the unbeliever. It's not His grace. So I say repent, receive Jesus. 
And you Christians, make your weaknesses known. Bring them to Jesus. Ask God to remove them. But when he, said, when he doesn't, accept his grace and know that he will get you through it. Let's pray.